should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. thrilled to be here with you guys this morning. We This is the Monday after Sensitive Santa, so you're going to have to excuse <laughs> that we are the walking wounded this morning. Uh, and I am the walking wounded this morning. But we had such a great day yesterday at the Ed Asner Family Center for, this was Autism Live's 10th annual Autism uh, Sensitive Santa event and it was amazing this was i think it's the third time that we've partnered with the ed asner family center and they are just amazing i have to give a big kudos to them and to their staff and for all the things that they did bless them too because thank you Traven. while uh we were trying to set up there was this little thing called the world cup happening and i was just the wicked witch of the west saying to everybody i know it's a soccer game but we have families coming and putting them to work and pulling them away from uh, soccer, but they were good sports about it all and put up with me because I was a holy terror. And, uh, but it was really lovely and they worked so hard and, they, and I feel like we helped a lot of families and that we made a really special event for a lot of families. You know who else was there? We weren't allowed to say ahead of time because they weren't there for the whole day, but Dinosaurs of the Valley came and joined us for the morning. And they, I don't know, if you if you live here in Los Angeles, uh, there's Pierce College and there's this big field around Pierce College and they always used to do really wonderful events at them. And then, you know, there's a pandemic and not so much. But I was driving past the field the other day and I, like the sun was sort of setting and it was a very like pink sky. It was beautiful. And there were these life-size dinosaurs in the field. And I about wrecked my car. And I was on the phone with somebody and I was like, there are dinosaurs in the field at my Pierce College. And they said, oh yeah, it's the Dinosaurs in the Valley exhibit. And it's these very realistic dinosaurs that you can walk through and go up and take pictures. It's this whole event that they're doing now through January 8th. And they contacted us on Friday and said, we'd really like to, we love to go to hospitals and events where we think that there are kids who probably wouldn't make it out to the exhibit for one reason or another. Um, and they said, can we bring over some of the dinosaurs? So there was a velociraptor and then there was a baby velociraptor, which was just about the cutest thing that there was at the event yesterday. So I'm telling you, some of the kiddos were just over the moon about the fact that they were seeing Santa and dinosaurs. So it was really, really fun. It was very heartwarming. It always slays me to see, you know, some of the parents and some of the struggles that they're going through because it's, it's not easy, right? Um, to see, you know, how happy and thrilled they are to be there with their kids. But it's you know, it's a different circumstance, and that's exactly why we do it, because otherwise, you know, maybe you don't get to go and have the experience with Santa. And it was just lovely. They, the parents got to take as many pictures as they wanted to. It, I, you know, I got very emotional a couple of times. It was just really brilliant. But I really want to thank everybody over at the Ed Asner Center, but especially Matt and Nava for, you know, really being our partner in this and for hosting it so beautifully. 
Uh, it was wonderful. But then I got to talk about the toys because the toys, one of these being one of the toys. The toys were amazing. Obviously, you know, when, when people submit their toys to us for our toy guide, which is available right now, the Autism Live uh, 2022 Toy and Gift Guide. It's available on our website, autismnetwork.com. Click on the toy guide and you can see all the age groups and all the award winners. When people submit toys to us, one of the things that we say is submit your toys. Uh, if they're chosen for a winner, they'll be featured in the guide. And, it, it, and whether they're chosen or not chosen, we will give them away to children at this event that we do. So we had some really amazing toys. Uh, oh, look, there's Santa covered with some of the toys that we had there. Special shout out. We always ask the, some of the winners afterwards if they'd like to donate additional toys. Special shout out to Fun in Motion Toys for their amazing donation uh, to University Games, to Rebit 3D, to uh, Lux Blocks, whoo, to Think Psych. Uh, who am I forgetting on my list of uh, people? Did I say University Games? Uh, really, really wonderful toys, in addition to all the other toys that we um, had for the guide. So uh, everybody got a toy, and it was amazing because sometimes people were going through with a carload of kids, and they would say, oh, we're just here to pick up one toy for the one person in our family who's special needs. And, and I loved that all of our staff would go, what are you talking about? No, this is for the whole family. Whoever the person is, special needs, whatever their age is, and for uh, a look, there's the dinosaurs. Look at how good Traven is. Uh, it's the, I don't know if you can see in the background there the velociraptor there next to Santa Claus who's checking his watch. And, uh, and then there's the baby raptor being held there by one of the adventurers. There's the dinosaur, yeah. Um, and there's Santa. Uh, checking his, his, I don't know whether that's his Fitbit or whatever, but you know, Santa's, Santa's got places he's got to be, but look at, look at that baby. The baby, was the baby's name Butterscotch or Buttercup? It was something butter. And then the big dinosaur, his name was Blue. And he, what I loved is that he would pick up one of his paws and he would wave to the kids, uh, when they would come up and they all thought that that was the cutest thing. So you got to see the dinosaurs if you were there in the morning and in the morning hours, and then everybody got a toy, including the siblings. If the siblings were under the age of 18, they got a toy too. And oh, it just was so beautiful always to see, you know, families who are like, oh, this is so nice. Thank you for doing this. It always breaks my heart. I got to be honest with you that we get no shows. People who don't come to pick up their toys, they had a ticket and they don't come. And it breaks my heart for a lot of different reasons because I used to be one of those people. I was a no-show. I would sign up to go and do things, but a lot of times my son, <clears throat> there was a period of time when he was considered medically fragile and he would get sick and then we wouldn't go because we didn't want to get anybody else sick, right? And um, Or it would just be too much on a given day for him or I would be like, I don't think you know, I don't know what his behavior is going to be like, and I would make the choice to stay home. I just want to say, if you're out there and you're one of those people who is also a no-show, please know, no judgment. I get it entirely. But I also want to say to you that there are some events sometimes when it's better to push through. And I was so proud of the parents yesterday who pushed through. Like I said, no judgment for the ones who felt that they couldn't. But um, sometimes you go someplace and you find that there are people who get it and who have something for you and want to support you. I will say this, that 
what I learned on this journey is that there are always people who want to support you. It's just that sometimes it's hard to find them, and sometimes they're at the thing that we choose not to go to. And so next time that you're like, ah, you're on the fence, I'm going to ask you to challenge yourself a little bit to get your kiddos in the car. If it's raining, it's raining, if, you know, whatever. And, and to go because it feels good to be included. And, and when you stay at home, the rhetoric becomes, see, we can't go anywhere. And, and it never changes, right? But the truth is you can. And that there are places like at the Ed Asner Family Center where you can come and be included. So I put that out to you. Uh, hey, Parker, I'm lucky to go to a church that understands me, that me and my family can go to the events. Uh, yes, those places exist. And thank you for reminding us that sometimes it is your church. I know some of you write in and say that that's not what happened at your church. But, you know, there are churches where that happens. And I ask you to find some place where you can go where you feel like, all right, um, this is a thing and we can be there. Somebody's calling me. Ah. Um, but anyway, uh, thrilled to be here with you guys this morning. I don't know whether it's going to be later on today. We're going to show you our annual video of Sensitive Santa, but be tuned to our social media so that you can see that, right? Um, and because uh, it was lovely. It was really lovely. I also want to thank Aviva Paskowitz because she's always does wonders, uh, decorates the place, and just, you know, made it look like that was we were in Santa's lair even though he was sitting outside because this was a drive-through event. It's really fun, you guys. So, and for those of you who did come, it was so good to see you. Thrilled that um, Parker says, birthday parties are a huge thing. There are kids that don't get invited due to behaviors, and I was one of the lucky ones and got invited to them as a kid. Yes, I, you know, I'm old school, and I come from the school of thought that if you're having a party for kids and you're inviting people from the class, then you need to invite everyone. And sometimes that's not possible because of money, but I think uh, it's terrible when our kids are excluded and when they're excluded because of behaviors. You know, the other thing that I always did for birthday parties is that I always took a therapist with us. I asked if we could do that, and there were very specific things that we were working on so that, you know, at that time it wasn't covered by insurance, but you can ask for a behavior technician to go with you to a birthday party. It takes a lot of pre-planning. First of all, you need to, you know, tell them where the party is and give them directions ahead of time so that the behavior technician can be there. You, you know, they have to clear it with where they have to go for their next place. Um, but we we got known in our circle of friends that we were going to show up and have a behavior technician with us at a party. And I think we got invited to parties just because of that, because it was one more person to help corral the kids. Because you know what happens at a lot of these parties. The moms go sit down and have a beverage, sometimes an adult beverage, you know what I'm saying? And a lot of parents don't interact with their kids and don't watch them and go, this is my time off. It's your party. You better have somebody there to watch it. And nobody does. Nobody does, right? But we would show up and have a behavior technician who sometimes, you know, was saying to the other kids, hey, how about if we do this and include everybody? Uh, because they're great like that. Not that they were supposed to be on birthday party duty, but that helped my kid to be able to be successful and interact at the party. And then you have a good social situation for your kiddo at the party. Um, so that was my answer to that, Parker. But I hate it when people don't invite people. That's I don't like that at all. 
I'm opposed to that. Uh, anyway, we got a big topic here. Let me say this. We're live right now, obviously, because I'm talking to Parker. Uh, it is Monday. What is it today? Is today the 19th of December. We're just coming up on Christmas here. And by the way, happy Hanukkah to everybody. Last night was the first night of Hanukkah. I hope those of you who celebrate Hanukkah had a lovely uh, first night experience and uh, thrilled uh, that it is, it, we're, we're at that time of year, right? So, uh, and Christmas is less than a week away now. It's uh, just amazing how, how much it flew by, but I love this period of time because things start to slow down. Tomorrow on the show, in fact, Dr. Grand Pichet is going to be here and we're going to be talking with you specifically about how to handle that. The slowdown when you don't have as many services, how to make use of this break, and how for it to go peaceably um, so that you're not a mess and feeling like, hey, what just happened? The whole rug got pulled out from under me. So that's going to be tomorrow's topic. But today we're going to be talking about challenging behavior, and it's the parent-to-parent discussion about that. But first, uh, Traven is showing you, our fabulous Traven is showing you all the different ways that you can connect uh, with the show and with us, and you might be watching us live, and so you could be writing in on Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter, or about a dozen other sites, or you might be watching us, more of you watch us in podcasts, which we really appreciate. We're, I, I guess we're like a week away from finding out what number rating we are for the next year, but for the last two years, we've been the number one rated autism podcast. We're very grateful to feed burner for for recognizing what we're trying to do here, um, but um, we love so many of the other podcasts. If it's not our turn to be number one this time, we'll take it. We'll take it on the chin. You know what I'm saying? But uh, we are the number one rated podcast. More of you watch us in podcasts than you watch live, and that's great because we understand your lives are busy. And that sometimes you need to watch a specific topic. So please check out wherever you get your podcasts, download us. You will find that now we're, uh, the podcasts are available audio only. If you want to see the recorded version and with picture and sound and see all the funny faces I make and, and be able to see the toy that I am playing with right now, the Mosey, all you have to do is go to our YouTube channel and check out the video version of our show there. You can subscribe to us on YouTube. And then we will, I think once a week-ish, we send you uh, a link to a video that we've done that week um, that you could ignore or you go, hey, I have the link to that right there. But all of the videos are available on YouTube. In fact, 12 years of videos are available on YouTube. Hey, this is the Mosey, and this is one of the toys from Fun and Motion Toys that we've been so over the moon about, and thank you for their donations. Uh, they also have the Shishibo, but I super love this. And I, I think, you know, it looks cool when you see it on camera, but you can't, you have to experience it. It is a really fun, I keep going back to it because I love the way it feels on my arms. Uh, everybody goes, oh, that's cool. And then they do it and they go, oh, that's really cool. So that's the Mosey. And of course, we love their Shishibo as well and many of their other toys. Um, so check them out, funinmotiontoys.com. And we'll talk more about them later on during the show. Oh, do we have the thing? Yeah, let's we, let's we have a video of uh, the Shishibo. Let's show it, uh, Traven, the minute one, uh, and you guys can take a look. This is why we love. This is like top toy last year and this year. The Shishibo. Take a look while I play with the Mosey.
selling brain teaser puzzle on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. And guys, they're a magnetic shape-shifting puzzle. You can create 70 different shapes with these, and they're part brain teaser, part puzzle, part fidget toys. I think one of the advantages of the Shishibo is that it combines the characteristics of some of the most successful toys. It has stackability and combinability of Lego. It has the magnetic properties of magnet tiles, and at the same time, the transforming problem-solving aspect of a Rubik's Cube. We ridiculous love that Shishibo. And uh, we were giving Shishibos away yesterday, and um, people were asking, you know, the volunteers, they were asking, and, I, and so I cracked one open and showed them, and you literally crack it open. And everybody went, oh my gosh. And then I said, yes, but then you can stack them together and they magnetically, and people were losing their minds. Uh, by the way, right now, there's a very special deal that if you go to their website, funinmotiontoys.com, if you, there's a, you know how there's always a discount coupon? I, I, whenever I'm checking out for something, there's always a discount coupon and I go, where do I get hooked up? How do I get hooked up with a discount coupon? Here it is. So if you put live, L-I-V-E-5 in, you will get an extra 5% discount off of whether you want a Mosey, whether you want seven Shishibos, uh, whatever you want on their website. They also have these amazing uh, balls that light up. Uh, that are super cool beyond belief. Um, so, and they uh, they have a, a, a wand that can float that I think they're upgrading. So I don't know if you can get it right now, but it's called Wandini, and I want one so bad. <laughs> so I'll keep you posted on that. But anyway, funemotiontoys.com and put live five. That's your discount code, and you will get another five percent discount. Uh, my heart beats faster whenever I think about Shishibo. And by the way, the Shishibos come in different colors. It's almost like they're different flavors. So if somebody has a special interest, oh, I love it. I love it so much. It's like, stop it already. Uh, but it's good. Funinmotiontoys.com. Okay, so the business of today. Today we're going to be talking about challenging behavior. And I said that we were going to be talking about the parent-to-parent version of this. I, want, I need to remind everybody that I am not an expert in autism. I'm not even an expert parent, right? I'm ju- I, I always say I'm just a parent and then I always want to take it back because just a parent is not just a thing, right? A parent is a very uh, valuable, valuable thing, right? We're on the team. Uh, and, and whenever somebody makes you feel like you're not on the team, I always used to say to people, when did I get voted off my child's team? Because uh, I want to be on the team. I want to be a good team player. I did have a sign in our house that during therapy with our son that I said, uh, our team is only as good as the weakest player on the team and that will not be me. That was my go-to as a parent because I didn't want to be the person that was like not following through, right? So uh, that was a big motivator for me. It doesn't have to be for you, but that was my thing. So I wanted to learn how to deal with challenging behavior. Last week when we talked about this with Dr. Grampichet, some of you were writing in and saying that you feel overwhelmed. When, and you, like there was somebody who wrote in and said, I don't even want to go out because I don't know how to handle my child's behavior and then everybody judges me, right? And that's a very real thing. I certainly felt that. I had the benefit of a very dear friend who had, um, she was one of my college roommates and then She had a son with autism 12 years before I had my son with autism. 
And I remember calling her after going to the grocery store one day where this woman and her two neurotypical teenage kids gave me the stink eye. And Jem wasn't even doing anything really wrong. He was just making noises. And they were like giving me the stink eye. And, and I called her in tears and I said, you know, is he ever going to be accepted? Are we ever going to be able to go someplace and feel like it's okay? Am I ever going to feel competent? And she was like, girlfriend, you need to take a deep breath. You need to take your shoulders, bring them up and push them down and walk tall. You are walking a path that other people don't understand and you're doing a great job. And I try to remember all the time how much I needed to hear that. I needed somebody to tell me that this wasn't easy and that I was doing a good job. So I, I try to remember to tell you guys that whenever I can, but I need to do it more. But it can be difficult, right? And when we're talking about that challenging behavior and we don't know when it's going to pop up, and if you don't feel proficient, if you don't feel like, hey, I know how to handle myself and my kid when this happens, it feels like you're walking on very thin ice. And it feels, I don't know, I felt like I was going to be found out. Like She didn't know how to handle her, her kid. And for me, <clears throat> excuse me, that was like the worst thing that I could imagine somebody thinking that I didn't know how to, and I handles the wrong word, but I didn't know how to be with my child, you know? And I think Part of my, <laughs> Parker says that I'm a gem expert. Je- Parker, I can assure you, Jem would tell you differently. Jem would disavow you of that opinion. He would be like, no, she's not. She's not an expert in me because he's an expert in him, right? And that I was never an expert in him, Parker, because you know why? Just when I would learn something, he would grow and he would change. And then I would have to run to catch up again. Uh, let's say that, you know, that, that kid keeps me in shape. Um, as he should. But my point is I, what I want to do is help all of us to feel like we understand what's happening and that we know what to do and that it's kind and that it's fair. Okay. Those are the things that are really important to me. Uh, so let's look at our, uh, and you know, here, here's the thing that I, I felt all the time that people were judging me and saying, you know, why aren't you Superman? Like, why am I not omniscient? Why am I not omnipotent? Why am I not able to control other people's behavior? But you know what? That's all a bunch of hooey. That has nothing to do with anything. And I'm never going to ask you to be Superman or Wonder Woman or any of those things um, because I'm just going to ask you to be a parent who loves your child. That's a much better place for you to come at than to have this expectation that you're going to know all things and be able to do all things. That's not realistic, okay? So what's in our toolkit today? One of the things that I want to do is identify the causes of challenging behavior. Let's provide you with a basic strategy for dealing with the behaviors. I saw Sharon Aragon. I I was talking the other day with Dr. Uh, Grampiche, and one of the things that I said was that, you know, Card and our therapist had given me like a drop-down menu of things to do when my son started to escalate and when he started a tantrum. And Sharon said, I need need the drop-down menu. And I went over some of it, and uh, Dr. Dreen went over some of it. We're really going to get into it today. Basic strategies for dealing with any behavior from anyone, not just your kiddo, right? And then we're going to give you something better than a cape. We're going to give you some peace of mind and some empowerment to know that you're doing a good job, okay? No capes. That's what Edna Mole says. Okay, so first of all, we got to talk about the basics of behavior. 
And I know from being a parent that sometimes it gets built up into this big, big thing and we start talking about, well, it's autism behavior. And that is also hooey. We need to destigmatize this right from the start. And I love that Dr. Grand Pichet always says that challenging behaviors like kicking and hitting and biting and, you know, all of that stuff, that is, that's not a symptom of autism. That is not autism behavior, first of all. It isn't. Um, it is a byproduct of not being able to communicate in a different way. So we need to take all of the stigma out of it. Our kids are not weird. They're not, um, they're not mean. They're not, um, you know, so often people say, well, they have no empathy. That's crap. That is total crap. In fact, far often our kids have so much empathy that they'll have a meltdown because they're feeling everything that's happening in the room, right? So we just need to go back to basics and say, look, all behavior is, all behavior is communication. And this is true for everyone, everyone. So for those politicians, you know, when they do something, that's communication. They're communicating something to you. You may not like what they're communicating or you might really dig it, right? But it's just communication. And your two-year-old who is nonverbal, when they are kicking the cat, they are communicating something to you. When uh, your boss does something, they're communicating something to you. So if we take all of the stigma away and all the labels away and just can think of it as communication, we're going to have a much better time dealing with the consequences of what's happening, right? So it's just a means of communication. But take a look at the faces on these kids. This sort of tears me up um, because look at each one of these faces. Look at that baby. And it's, it's like so extreme that it's almost like, you know, we have to giggle about it. But what do you think that that baby is communicating? Um, each and every one of these kids has something that they're communicating. Sometimes it's inconvenient to listen. And sometimes it's hard to know exactly what it is, right? And we tend to put an easy label on it. Like the, the one with the kid with the, the fist up, we go, well, he's just a bully. But we know that that isn't the end of the story, right? We know that something is going on that that individual is going to hit the other person because there's something that they need. And it's not acceptable. Can we just say it is not acceptable to hit? And, you know, kids go through a phase where they will hit to get their way, but we need for them to grow out of it. And that phase is a pretty normal phase, but we need for them to grow out of it. When we have this attitude of saying, well, you know, it's autism, and so he gets frustrated because he can't communicate another way, so we're just going to let him hit other people, what we do is put everyone in danger, most especially the individual who's hitting. Because what happens when the police show up because he's hitting? What happens when they put him in jail because he's hitting? We will not have done that person justice true justice, literally justice, if we allow that continue. It's far kinder for us to stop and ask ourselves, what is it they're communicating? And is there a better way that we can teach them to communicate so they can get that need met without having to do something that gets them in further trouble or could endanger them or other people? So that's really what we're going to be focusing on today. Um, 
and looking at the behavior. So, but before we start to talk about all that, we have to recognize our portion of this too. And logic dictates and science has proven time and time again that behavior is only maintained when it is rewarding in some way. That this is a part of behavior. That if I have learned that if I hit you and that is how I get my way, then I'm going to continue to hit you. And we see this with individuals who are not on the autism spectrum, that they continue hitting all throughout their life because it's how they get their way. And maybe they don't have a better way of communicating, here is what I need. Um, But, you know, uh, for the women out there who have been battered by a spouse who says, I love you, and then hits you, it's a very hard thing, right? Because, like, most battered women go through a phase where they're like, oh, it'll get better, it'll get better. But things don't get better unless we work on them. And it's very important that for people who hit as a way of getting their needs met, that we provide them with another way of getting their needs met, or they won't learn how to do something else. Um, Parker says, I've heard of cases where autistic individuals were charged with domestic violence due to troubling behaviors. Yes, we've seen this many times. You know, we will excuse hitting in a child Um, and often for, for folks who have kids on the spectrum, they will continue to excuse it because, well, they have autism. So we're going to excuse that behavior. But my question to you is, when do we stop excusing it? Um, because when does it become a problem where other people get involved and in the state or the community and step in and say, we're going to take that child out of your home. We're going to put that person in prison because they're an adult and they just hit somebody. It becomes very serious. And I think we should take a hard line on it and say it's touchy, right? Because there's a natural phase where children will strike out to get their needs met. And that is a natural phase, but it is not natural to continue to allow it to happen. No matter what the diagnosis of the person is, we need to recognize that they are doing it not because they're a bad person. They're not. They are doing it because they have no other means of communicating. It becomes our job as people who love them to start to say, what is it that they need? How can I fulfill that need before they need to hit? How can I help them to communicate that need, right? Um, And Dr. Phil talks about this all the time, that when people engage in behaviors, he always says, what's your payoff? What's your paycheck, right, on his show? And, um, and basically, he's talking about the same thing that we are, that people do things over and over and over again because it works, because they get something out of it. And that if we want to be a part of changing that equation, then we are going to need to change some stuff that we do. Um, so here we are. Uh, is this a tool that we can use? If every behavior happens because we get something from it. Is this useful information to us? What if, what if, picture for a moment, if we could pick the behaviors that we want our child to maintain and make them rewarding enough, if that's the equation, if it's rewarding, I'll keep doing it. What behaviors would we like to keep rewarding? And then what about the behaviors like hitting? Uh, Is there a way that we are currently rewarding that and can we stop rewarding? Can we just stop rewarding hitting behavior? But the asterisk here is that we want to continue to teach them 
a way to get their need met. That's a really important part of this. We wouldn't just stop rewarding the challenging behavior. We need to be rewarding other behavior, right? So that challenging behaviors can lessen or disappear. A whole lot of asterisks for those of you who are watching. You're like, wait a second, this could go wrong. Stick with me uh, because we're going to get there. Okay. So I am talking about ABA. I'm talking about applied behavior analysis, and we're going to talk about the ABCs of behavior. But I know many of you hate ABA. Many of you feel that it uh, disenfranchises the person. It doesn't take their needs into consideration, that it's rote training. Uh, There are lots of you out there who don't like applied behavior analysis. And here's the thing I want to say. You are totally entitled to your opinion. I just want to clarify a couple of things. The science of ABA does not believe in all the things that I just said, disenfranchising the person, traumatizing them, doing things by rote. It doesn't believe in all those things. Just like when people say, well, you know, people with autism don't have empathy. No, you're looking at it and you're seeing something and you're assigning value to it. Do I believe that people have been hurt and traumatized through people doing ABA? Absolutely. That's not a thing that I'm ever going to argue with you about. But it was because they were not doing ABA the way you're supposed to do ABA. Um, And even there's a lot of controversy in the world right now uh, about ABA and what it allows for and what it doesn't allow for. But If the main tenant of ABA is that if something is rewarding, you will do it more often, then that shouldn't disenfranchise the person. It should take into consideration what they want and what they need. And people who are doing good and mindful ABA, that's what they're all about, right? And yes, when you, when we say that if, if something, um, if you're engaged in a challenging behavior, we're not going to make it rewarding for you anymore. Could you take that and make it traumatizing to somebody if you weren't teaching them a way to get their needs met? Absolutely. Which is one of the reasons why I want to have this topic. Because if you're not teaching them a way to get their needs met, you are going to make it traumatizing for you. So if you're doing ABA with your child and you think you have a good ABA provider, ask yourself when they, when they decide to change a challenging behavior, are they teaching them another way to get their needs met? And if they're not, stop everything until they do. Okay. Because it should like, it should look like, you know, imagine if I went up to a counter and and I said I wanted to order something and I needed it desperately. I, you know, desperately, desperately needed water and I was ordering water but I was doing it in a way and using language. I was speaking Swahili and the people behind the desk only speaks French and they don't know any Swahili. Eventually I would start pounding on the desk and pointing to the water and pounding. I might even grab somebody by the lapels if my child was dying of thirst. You betcha I would, right? Um, Now I need the water. I absolutely need the water. And they're going to judge me if I'm hitting them, right? I'm not getting the water. It's not really being successful. Imagine if somebody just ignored me at that point. I would lose my mind. I would be jumping over the counter. I would engage in all kinds of challenging behavior because I needed the water for my son. But if somebody walked in and said, wait, you need water? 
then you're going to have to use, uh, you know, this word uh, for them because they only, I don't, I can't think of what the French word for water is. You're going to have to use this word and then they will give you the water and you don't have to throw a tantrum and you will get the water. That would be that person helping me. But if they just decided to ignore me and ignore my request, that would be traumatic. Okay. So what we're looking to do is help the person to be able to communicate their needs in a way that they get their need met. Not in a way that's socially acceptable for that person over there. I'm talking about getting their need met in a way that it actually works. And right now, it might be that how it works for them is I hit and that's how I get my need met. We don't want to have that be the lesson. Okay. So, um, here's the big, big thing I was saying before. We can only change a child's behavior or an adult's behavior or anyone's behavior after we've changed our own. This is hard. Notice there's a guy down there blowing a whistle on the screen. Because this is a big warning. You have to be willing to change first. And sometimes we're not willing to change. And if that's the case, that's fine. There's more than one way to do something. But if you're willing to change what you're doing, you'll find that there are a whole lot of possibilities for changing challenging behavior. Hang with me because I'm going to give you the whole 411 on this. Okay, so let's talk about the ABCs of behavior. Uh, And this is applied behavior analysis to its core. This is called, um, I can't think what it's called, the three-term contingency. There it is. It all comes back to me. So, and I remember the day that they taught this to me as a parent, and I went, what? Really? Are you sure? How come I never heard about this in school? I have a graduate degree. How come nobody ever mentioned this to me before? But here it is, that for every behavior that you engage in, that I engage in, and every person who's on the autism spectrum, every breathing person on this planet, any behavior that they engage in on a regular basis, it has these three elements to it. That there is an antecedent, that's the A. Something happens, right? And that causes a behavior. And then for the behavior, there is a consequence. And the, the big example that I always give up is that every single day there is a point of time in the day where you are in a room and you're doing something and you get up and turn a light on. Okay, that's behavior. So what was the antecedent that led to the behavior? Maybe it was eye strain that you were trying to read something. Maybe you were just walking into the room and the room was dark and you didn't want to trip over something. But that's the antecedent. You had a need for more light And the behavior that you've learned is go to the light switch and turn the light switch on. And what is the consequence of that? Light floods in the room, right? Except sometimes it doesn't. What happens when you walk into a room and you need light and you flick on the light switch hoping for there to be light, but it doesn't happen? You're pretty used to it working. So what do you do? What do you do? Because this is the way it works. I can't see. It's almost by rote, right? Like, we don't even think about it. You walk into the room, you flick on the switch, and if the light doesn't come on, it's it's unsettling, right? It's like, uh uh-oh, something's wrong. This, I've been doing this forever and this works. Now, I don't know about you, but me, I stand there and I'll flick the light, light switch on and off, on and off, on and off, because I don't believe it. And it's not even, it's just instinctual. It's not even a thought process, but I'm like, wait a second, this has always worked before. What's going on, Right? That's called an extinction burst. 
because it's worked before, so I'm going to try it a lot to see if it works now. And then eventually, I will, I, it's not working, so I will go and do something. Maybe I get a flashlight. Now I'm into another set of behavior where the antecedent is that the light switch isn't working. I get the flashlight. And now, you know, I've got the flashlight. I can see. Uh, the consequence is I, I can now see what I need to do. Uh, but I got a problem to solve, right? So everything that you do um, has these three things, the antecedent, the behavior, and the consequence. So when we talk about this, what's really important is that we all think as parents that we, have, we, we need to get control over the behavior. Or we think that person over there at the grocery store who's watching my child meltdown, they're upset with me because I don't have control over the behavior. This is just a fool's errand. It's next to impossible to control behavior. Like, don't even think about it that way. It's not useful. Like, you know, I always use the example of Jem kicking his foot on a chair when we were at the doctor's office. How am I going to make him stop? I can say to him, stop doing that. But how am I going to make him stop doing that? What, am I going to tape his leg to the chair? Of course not. If he wants to be kicking his leg, he's going to kick his leg. I I, I need to let go of that. I I don't have control over that. But here's the fun part. You have so much control over antecedents and you have so much control over consequences and those are what feeds the behavior anyway. So if the child, you know, is is engaging in a behavior because they need a drink of water, right, what we can do is start giving them water on a regular basis so they don't get to the point where they're so desperate for it, right? We can also teach them how to point to an icon if they're nonverbal and say, you know, need a drink, right, so that they have an appropriate way to ask for it, right? There's so many things that we can do so that they don't have to get to the point where they throw themselves on the floor to be requesting water. And we can teach a whole bunch of things, but we can also make sure that they have water on board. Give them a water cup so that they're never, they can drink whenever they choose to. Give them the autonomy, right? Why are we waiting for them to throw a tantrum? There are a whole bunch of things we can do beforehand. And we have a certain amount of control over the consequences too, that if somebody is throwing a tantrum because they need a drink of water, you know, I think what happens a lot of times is that we're going to give in and give the water because it's at that point that we realize, oh, what you wanted all along was water. I'm not saying to withhold the water, but, I'm, but I am saying that we at least language it and go, what you wanted was water, and we are teaching the word water for it. When it's something that isn't life-sustaining, yeah, we would withhold it until they said the thing. But if it's life-sustaining, we're not going to do that. Does that make sense? Uh, but we would still, while we're handing it, saying, this is water, and you can, t- you can sign water, you can point to the thing when you want water, you point to this, and I will give it to you. We're building trust. We're keeping it fair. We're keeping in mind that this is a person with needs. And if I have to get to the point where I have to throw a tantrum to get what I want, it's exhausting. Yeah? I mean, I still throw tantrums. I threw a small tantrum at the toilet because everybody was standing around watching the soccer game. And I was like, I hate soccer. Right? It was a small tantrum. Right? Um, but, you know, I, I got everybody's attention. Yeah, and Trayvon is saying in my ear, but it was the finals. Yes, but cars were lining up with kids. If you volunteered to be there, like I understand it was the finals of the soccer, but kids were still coming. 
um, you know, I'm not, I'm not a soccer person. So I stood there and went, I hate soccer. <laughs> so I was the Wicked Witch of the West. What can I say? Good morning to our Journey Cameron's New Life. Uh, Anthony says, hi, I would love to be on the show because I want to share about my experiences with Spectrum Laboratory. Okay, so Anthony, we've had you on before. Um, so send me an email to shannon at autism-live.com. Uh, that's all you got to do. Um, okay, so in any case, we have control. Thank you, Traven, for putting it up on the screen. We have a whole lot of control over antecedents, some of the time, not all the time. And sometimes we have a, a lot of control and sometimes we have a little control over consequences. And they're much more effective at, at having a, 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 an understanding of the challenging behavior and making it so that the challenging behavior doesn't need to happen. That's really what we're talking about. Okay, so let's continue on here. I think that this is really important because, as I said, stop thinking that you can control the behavior. So I love the serenity prayer. Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom, thank you, to know the difference, right? Very famous serenity prayer. And as an autism parent, this has done me... Uh, really well many times because there's a whole lot of things um, that I can't control. So let's start with that. And I sometimes make lists and go, I can't control that. I can't control what my child's diagnosis is. I can't control what my son has a sensory meltdown over. I can't control how he feels about certain things. My son had a very heightened sense of justice. I don't have any control over that. I just need to know that's him. He has a very heightened sense of justice and he's going to be bothered when somebody is being done wrong. It may not even be his thing, but he's going to jump in because he doesn't like it. Listen, when he was little and couldn't tell me that that's what it was, like if somebody was yelling at a kid next to him, he would have a meltdown and I would have no idea what it was, right? But as time went by, I began to see the patterns, right? But I can't control that that's how he feels about it. I have to have some serenity in that and know that I'm not Wonder Woman, I'm not God, I'm not Superman, I'm not, I, and he is who he is, And I have to have the serenity to accept him as he is, who he is, and for for all of the things that he is, right? But along with that, then, I also need to take some courage, and I need to be a mama lion, and there's some things that I do need to change. And if we take the birthday example that Parker gave us yesterday, do I actually have control over... Um, how other people invite my child to a birthday party. I really don't. But do I have the courage to change what is within my control? For me, what that meant was that every year I would throw the most off-the-chain birthday party that I could have, and I would let it be known to people I'm only inviting after a while, because in the beginning I invited every single kid, right? But after a while, I let it be known I'm only inviting people that have invited him to their party. And believe me, I made it a party that every kid wanted to go to. And then everybody knew, you know, like it's fair, right? I'm going to invite your kid to my party if you invite my kid to your kid's party, right? And I had to have the courage because I'm sure some people didn't like me. You know what? Who cares? (laughs) I mean, sometimes I care, but other times I go, ah, 
we have to have the courage to be willing to change how we're looking at the situation. We have to have the courage to try something new. Sometimes we have to have the courage to have an expert come in and help us, right? It takes a lot of courage. Don't kid yourself. That takes a lot of courage. But of course, the last one is having the wisdom to know the difference. That sometimes you'll find yourself trying to take control of something that's not within your control and then you're going to have to like stop and Ileana Van Sant, save yourself, right? And go, wait a second, I don't have control over that. And then I ask myself always, well, what would I have control over in this scenario? And I'm going to put some things in your basket here in a second. Uh, But then the opposite is true too, right? I see a lot of autism parents who go, oh, there's nothing I can do about that. My son is smacking somebody in the face, but that's autism. No, no, that is not the wisdom to know the difference. There are lots of things that you can do. That's not just like, oh, we're just going to accept that. There are things you can do. You got to have the courage. Um, Polkett says, hi, can ABA help in improving cognition and understanding in child-like identification? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because that's a skill and it's a muscle and it needs to be worked on. And it takes a lot of hours. I'm not going to kid you or candy coat you at all. I can't candy coat it for you, but that takes a lot. You know, when we watch ABA build a skill in somebody, they compartmentalize and they teach it a little bit at a time, but cognition is absolutely um, an understanding. I can remember when my son was in kindergarten, and I every day my prayer was, because I watched all the other little kindergartners, and they knew what day of the week it was. And they knew what happened on that day. Like they knew, oh, today's Tuesday, so today we're going to do math, and then we're going to go to music. And my child had no awareness of that there are seven different days of the week and that we do different things on them and we own like eventually he would wake up and he would be like is today a school day and and I you know and they taught me and I would take him over to the calendar and I would go here's today and and here are the days that we go to school Monday through Friday and we would visually show him and we would have pictures that like school on these days and eventually he understood that I don't go to school every day and that I only go on these days, and eventually he understood, oh, well, those are Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Now, like, he understands it just like you do. He totally knows, and he didn't understand holidays. He was like, what, we're going to do what? We're, we're having turkey today? Like, he had no concept, but it took a lot of time, a lot of time and a lot of patience. Um, but yes, absolutely, uh, ABA is great for that. Make sure you're working with somebody good who takes into consideration when your child needs a break and that, you know, that there are fun ways to teach cognition, right? Okay, um, so here, so here, back to talking about challenging behavior, it's really important that we acknowledge not only is behavior communication, but everything has a function. There's a reason why they're engaging in the behavior. And if you're going to try to change a behavior because... It's and, and, and I think there is another asterisk here, too. Like, are you trying to change the behavior because uh, it's driving you crazy? Are you trying to change the behavior because you fear for them in the long run or you fear that they're going to hurt somebody? Or are you changing the behavior because what your Aunt Betty says? Like, I think you need to be clear on your motive from the start. And I don't want to poo-poo that there are some things that our kids could do that drive us crazy, but I I don't want you to be changing a behavior because of that. Uh, There's some stereotypy that our kids do that it's like, oh man, I can't can't take anymore. And I don't want to poo-poo that. 
But I think I don't want us to think about changing that behavior so much as changing something else because a lot of times that stereotypy comes because they're not being able to communicate effectively or because there's anxiety. And what I'd rather have us do is focus on the anxiety than try to take away the thing that's mitigating the anxiety. Does that make sense? Um, So be clear about what your motives are before you decide to change a behavior. But if there's really a behavior that you need to change because they're hitting their, their baby sister, well, we need to change that, right? That's crystal clear that that behavior can't stand, right? You need to know what the function of the behavior is. You need to know why it's happening and you need to start to be a detective to find out why because anything that you do to change that behavior <clears throat> is contingent on knowing what, why it was happening to begin with. So there are four main reasons, and there's an asterisk fifth that I'll give you why anybody engages in any challenging behavior. One, because they need attention. Boy, that's one of the usual suspects right there. I'm a former teacher. It was almost always the thing when we were in the classroom that they needed attention. And our, I always think of our kids as empty buckets, and they need a certain amount of attention. And some kids need more and some kids need less. But everybody needs a certain amount of attention. And when I was teaching a classroom, I would always think of those empty buckets. And I would know that Betty's bucket is empty. And if I want Betty to be engaged in what we're doing as a teacher, I know I'm going to have to give her attention on a regular basis. Right? And in that way, I'm giving Betty what she needs and Betty's involved. And if I forget to give Betty attention, Betty is going to act up and now I got a bigger problem, right? I don't want that. I'm going to antecedent modification the hey nani nani out of that. I'm going to, I'm going to give Betty jobs. I'm going to build Betty up. I'm going to say, Betty, you're doing a great job. I know teachers that have watches that are set to buzz every 30 seconds. And when it does, they go, Betty, great job over there. I like how you're doing that. Right? And everybody thinks, oh, that's so much work. Oh, that's so much less work than dealing with when Betty is throwing things. So much less work, right? So attention, big, big deal. And we're going to talk about these individually. Access to activities or items or people. I want the ball. I want mom. Mom's in the other room. I want the dog. I want the toy. I, I want to go to Disneyland right? And so I'm going to, I want to to stay at McDonald's and get to go in the playland. I'm going to engage in challenging behavior because I want that. But then the opposite is escape. I, I, I need to get away from that noise. I don't want to take a bath. I need to escape, right? We all engage in all of these. I do this during tax time. I will do anything. I'll clean my garage rather than sit down and do the taxes until I absolutely have to. And then the last one that's the hardest to get a bead on and the hardest to understand is that it's self-reinforcing. We call it an inside job. There's, there's a paycheck on the inside, which means I'm not going to know for sure, but I can, I'm going to try to be a detective to try to figure out what it is. We see this when kids <coughs> excuse me, are hitting themselves in the head or pressing on their eyes. That's a little clearer because they're getting input somehow on the inside. Rocking. Um, it's an inside job. They're getting an inside paycheck for it, right? We have to be super mindful about what that paycheck means to them. If I'm rocking, there is something that I need for my proprioceptive nervous system. We don't want to just take that away from people without giving them something else that works. 
So I'm a big fan of let's stop stigmatizing behavior that keeps us centered, right? Because then you're going to get more challenging behavior if you try to take that away from somebody. Nothing wrong with rocking. Um, I know it will make some people look at our kids and, but whatever. I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in happy, healthy, communicating kids, right? And everybody else can go suck it. (laughs) And I've said that officially. Uh, Okay, now the fifth one that comes into play when kids are a little bit older is control. So if it doesn't feel like it's going to fit any of these categories, it might be control. Because when you're a kid, well, even I mean, especially when you're older, when you have enough cognition to understand that you have wants and needs and they're not being met, it becomes about control. And sometimes you guys will write in and go, no, I looked at your list of four things, but you know, they have this thing that they love, that they will do anything for, and they were so out of sorts, and I offered the, them the thing, and they said no. Uh, then it's control, because it's you offering it. It's, they have to have some autonomy. They have to be able to make choices. So I always say, let's antecedent modification, the, you know, the need for control from the beginning. That, and I love this about ABA because ABA, you know, and you could be like, oh, it takes away all the control. No, in fact, it doesn't. ABA gives them choices. What do you want to do today? What do you want to work for? What do you want to whatever? Now, does it give them every choice under the sun? No, that's overwhelming. But always they should have choices. Sometimes the two things that they're choosing between, are none of them are great, But isn't that life? Like sometimes it's like, would you like to go to bed now and have story time? Or would you, you know, like to go to bed now and not have story time, right? Uh, That those are the two choices. And and somebody will say to me, but, you know, they don't want to go to bed. Well, there are some things in life that, it, you know, if we don't take care of them, then we're going to have something else. If we let kids stay up whenever they wanted to, what we will have is kids who melt down tomorrow, Right? But you can give them that choice. Do you want to go to bed and have story time or do you want to go to bed and just have your nightlight on and have it play the sounds from your nightlight? You choose. But I didn't say you can get out of it, right? Okay. Um, Control. Get there ahead of time. Okay. Take a look at this car along the side of the road. I think we've all had the experience where we're driving our car and it starts making a funny noise and then it breaks down. Or maybe it just is making the funny noise and it hasn't broken down yet. But what do we do? Do we pull over to the side of the road? If you're proficient in cars, maybe you do. Maybe you lift up the hood and you take a look. But do you start pulling stuff out or do you, most of us, pick up the phone and call AAA or somebody, our mechanic or somebody, and say, I need some assistance here. Now, what do they do? They'll come and they'll get the car, or maybe if it's just making the noise, they'll get the car from you and you say, it's making a ticka, ticka, ticka noise. And they'll ask you questions. They'll say, well, does it do that only when uh, you first started or does it do the whole time? Like if you drive 40 miles, is it still making the noise? And they're asking these questions because they're narrowing down things about like, well, maybe it's this, maybe it's that. But then they usually say, give me the keys. I'm going to drive it so I can hear it for myself. Then they lift up the hood and they look at things and they'll even test with some more things before they start ripping hoses out. Now, why? Why do they do that? Why don't they just start ripping stuff out? There's, you know, only 455 parts maybe in an engine. Why don't they just start ripping them out and replacing them? Well, it's not efficient and it's certainly expensive 
and it's time consuming. If you replace the water pump when it's the starter, how effective is, is the repair gonna be if you've replaced the water pump? It's, it's gonna be bad, right? It's the same way with behavior. If we start ripping things out before we've looked at it and really know what's going on, we run the risk of making it worse. And, and I'm gonna illustrate this for you, but I think that this is a reason why it's really important to include professionals whenever possible. But let's play a game here. Uh, which function is it? We're gonna look at two kids, Johnny and Miguel, and the same circumstance, that Johnny is biting Miguel. And we're gonna look at it in a bunch of different ways. So if I said to you, Johnny's biting Miguel, which one of the four functions of behavior that I outlined for you do you think it is? Right off the bat, which one, which one do you suspect that it is? All you know is, is that Johnny is biting Miguel. Anybody wanna write in and say um, what you think? The, the problem is, is that there's not enough information for us to guess. Guessing is not allowed because these are people. Johnny and Miguel are people and they have needs. Miguel has a need to not be bitten. And Johnny has a need for something. At this point, we don't know what it is. And it's so dire that he's biting Miguel. And we need to find out more information. Now, we, we could and, and should whenever possible, especially when there's any kind of injurious behavior happening, we would want to call in a BCBA to do what they call a functional behavior assessment. And it's just like what I was outlining for the mechanic. They're going to interview you and anybody else who's around and go, well, when does it happen? Does it happen in the morning? Does it happen after lunch? They're going to ask a bunch of questions. Does it happen when nobody else is around, right? They're going to interview, and then they're going to want to take it for a test drive. They're going to be like, okay, I want to be there at the time when it supposedly happens, and I want to see what's going on. So I have eyes on the situation. And then they're going to come back with this assessment, the functional behavior assessment, and they're going to devise a a behavior intervention plan that's going to take an antecedent modification into consideration, and it's going to take a consequence uh, strategy into consideration so that we can change the behavior based on what the function was. So, okay. Now, we, we went back to our scenario and Johnny's biting Miguel and we did the FBA. And what we found out that is Johnny is biting other children and toys on a regular basis. It's not just Miguel. He's biting toys, for heaven's sake. He's biting his shirt. He's doing other things. And his mother, when she was interviewed, said that he just recently started taking methyl B12 shots. Well, that's interesting. There has also been a recent spike in Johnny's progress in speech. Well, what do we think the function of the behavior is now? He's biting Miguel. Why do we think, knowing this, why do we think that he's biting Miguel? And the FB, what we decide is that this is self-reinforcing, that Johnny is likely biting because it feels good to bite. He's got this itching sensation, and biting makes it feel better. And we find that some kiddos, when they're starting to access, especially with methyl B12 shots, when they start to access the nerves um, around their mouth uh, because their their methylation cycle is working, it itches, and that they have a need to bite. It's not going to last forever, but this family took the methyl B12 shots because they wanted to increase his speech, and it's working. The speech is going up, and he's having more sensation in his mouth, 
but to him that feels like I need to do something to bite. So now we have the behavior intervention plan and what we do is we honor the fact that Johnny needs something to bite, so we give him something appropriate to bite, that he's allowed to bite that's safe, like uh, the jewelry or the chew toys that uh, Jem used to have one that looked like a yin and yang symbol uh, that was really cool. All the kids in his class wanted one, and the teacher knew, and he was allowed to put it in his mouth. It was grade A surgical whatever so that it wouldn't crumble, and it had a tearaway necklace, so if he was on the uh, the playground and somebody grabbed him, they couldn't choke him with it, right? Safety, safety, safety. But the teacher knew that he was allowed to put it in his mouth to chew on it while he was doing activities because that's what he needed. It didn't last forever, but while he was doing the methyl B12 shots, he had those. Now, I know that um, Sarwar wrote in and said, uh, when did Jem have his first conversation with me and when did his receptive language change? Was he always able to reply in full sentences? Not, no, he wasn't. Uh, Jem had language and was using full sentences and then his language went away at the age of two word by word. So there, the always th- thing that I say is that there was a time when he would walk into the room that I was in and he would do this with his hands and he would go, mama, what doing? Which I count as a full sentence, right? He wasn't yet two. And, um, but then one day he came in and said, mama doing. And I was like, where did the what go? Shouldn't sentences be getting longer? They shouldn't get shorter. And I went to the pediatrician. She said, he's fine. He's speaking. Get over it. He's a boy. They're late talkers. You know, wish I could kick her with a pointed shoe. No, that would be violent. Uh, But I wish she'd caught it then, right? Um, But then, you know, eventually he said, doing, and there was no hand gesture, and then eventually all the words went away. Um, And he would come into the room when he came into the room, and he would just walk around in a circle. Um, So we had to work to get language back. Uh, And we discovered that his receptive language was higher than his expressive, which we did not know. He gave no indication that he understood what we were saying. But right before he started ABA, he was doing speech therapy before saying no words. Um, But she gave him a test on the last day that he was with her, and she showed him pictures. And she said to him, I remember she said, there was a bunch of pictures, and she said, which one of these things would you cook in? And he wasn't even looking at it, but he, you know, he, he went, and he hit the frying pan. And I went, and she said, he wasn't looking. He doesn't know. And then she asked him another question on another page, and he, not looking, hit the thing, and it was the right one. And he did it like eight for ten. And she said, I don't, he, she said, I think it was just luck. And I said, I don't think so. And then, of course, two weeks later, we started ABA, and they were like, no, 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 He's looking out of the corner of his eye. He could see what he was pointing to, um, and he doesn't have a whole lot of hand-eye coordination, which is why he sort of whapped it, but they could t- see that he was hearing things and that he understood some of the functions of things. And then uh, we worked a really long time, and eventually we did the methyl B12 shots. And I think that it was after the methyl B12 shots that I think true conversation so he was seven maybe um and now you know he'll talk your ear off um they say my son loves singing songs letters and numbers constantly he just turned four a few days ago he has a lot of words but non-functional for the most part i wish i could have a conversation with him 
Okay, Sarwar, I want to tell you that you need to be tuning in when we have Dr. Grampiche on. Because if he loves singing songs and letters and numbers constantly, what that sounds like, and I, what I think that Dr. Grampiche would say is that that sounds like maybe he's hyperlexic. And hyperlexic is when our kids glom on to those exact things. They like to sing like the ABCs, and they love letters, and they love numbers. And those kids are like, and the fact that he just turned four means you have the perfect time, that he is hyper-focusing on those because there's order in them. And you can capitalize on that and you can build language and you can build all kinds of cognition, but you need to get him a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of ABA right now. Sarwar. Right now. And I mean a 40-hour program because those are the kids who often are the most likely to have a full you know, I know everybody hates the word recovery, but get to the point where they don't have issues. But here's the flip of it for those kids. They are kids with a great deal of anxiety. They need a great deal of order. And if we don't give them enough to learn, the anxiety takes over. So I really, really, really want you to please watch Dr. Grampiche and be writing her questions and get some good, good, good ABA and get lots of it, 40 hours a week, plus do it at home the other hours because he's going to need language to ground him so that the anxiety doesn't take over. Um, But uh, listen, if you do that, kids that are like this, you are going to be able to have a conversation with him. Okay. Um, Okay. So in this case, our, we, we looked at the biting and it was automatic reinforcing, self-reinforcing because he had a need, his, his gums were itching and he needed to take care of it. Now, if we thought that this was him trying to get attention and we decided, oh, we're not going to give that attention, what a disservice this would be to Johnny. He'd be like, I am having an itching problem and nobody is helping me. So this is why this becomes so important. Okay, let's, let's pick another scenario. Wipe away what you know. You know that Johnny's biting Miguel, but this time the FBA reveals that Johnny only bites Miguel, not biting anybody else. He's only biting Miguel and only when Miguel is playing with the playground ball. Miguel has the playground ball. Johnny bites him every time. And when Johnny bites Miguel, Miguel drops the ball and runs away, leaving Johnny to play with the ball. Okay, so now now you're getting the hang of this, right? What's the function of the behavior now? Why do we think Johnny was biting Miguel? This one is a little bit easier. I'll tell you that self-reinforcing one is hard. But this one is a little bit easier because it's clear that he wanted access to an activity or an object. What was the object? The ball. Johnny's learned that if I want to get the ball, I bite Miguel and I get to play with it for a couple of seconds. And that's enough. I got the ball. I have control, right? Now, somebody eventually takes the ball away from Johnny and all these other things happen, but for a second, winning, he got the ball. So the BIP is that Johnny is only given access to the ball when he correctly asks for it. So the first thing we have to do is teach Johnny how to sign or point or whatever to appropriately request the ball. And in the beginning, every time he appropriately requests for the ball, we're going to give it to him because we're teaching him when you ask for it, you get the ball. Um, uh, and, and he has to go a certain amount of time without biting. I, I don't think the two are contingent upon each other, depending on the kid. 
initially it may be only a couple of seconds that he has to not bite and then we give him the ball but over time we're going to lengthen it so that you know you don't get the ball if you bite because that has to be the other thing as soon as he as soon as he bites someone the ball goes away there's no more ball we you know what we're teaching him is you bite you don't get the ball you you know tap your hand with the icon that says ball you get the ball we want you to have the ball we want you to get what you want right but if you bite yeah doesn't happen right uh we also make sure that we don't give him close access to miguel while miguel is playing with the ball because he has learned uh, you know miguel has a ball I'll just go bite him and i'll get his ball so miguel is across you know the house or whatever <clears throat> or miguel isn't even there and we don't because if it's his baby brother we you know wait till he's having nap time and then we do the ball right uh with miguel uh okay so pretty easy that one okay now let's try another one so for this fba johnny bites miguel when miguel is working quietly when he bites dad gives johnny a lecture about biting sometimes johnny is given a timeout in the corner of the room and after the timeout mom gives johnny a big lecture about behavior does this sound familiar this is what i would have done this would have been my parenting before learning about aba if my child bit somebody, I would, I would be in his face going, why would you do that? You're in trouble, mister. You need to get in the corner. We don't do that. We don't bite people. And then once the timeout was over, then I would have taken him over, put him on my lap and said, honey, why would you bite somebody? Biting is not a good thing. We don't do that in our house. And what do we think the function of the behavior is this time? Can anybody guess? We're all guilty of this. Don't hide from this. This is attention. Because if I need mom's attention and I don't know how to ask for it, oh, all I have to do is lean over and bite my brother. Now I've got her undivided attention. And she's giving me a lecture. Look, she's not talking to my brother. She's talking to me. It's all me, all the time channel. And people go, yeah, but he's in trouble. He's going to have to go in the corner where he's not going to have mom's attention. But we love bad attention. I'm sorry. Bad attention is good attention. Turn on TMZ. You will see it all over there. And I got a lecture all the way to the corner. And then I had to stand in the corner for five minutes. But now mom brings me over to her lap and tells me, uh, you know, I need to be a good boy. And I'm sitting on her lap and she's hugging me and saying, we're not going to bite people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Guess who I'm going to bite the next chance I can because I love it when you talk to me. Right? Uh, It's so hard, you guys. Don't you can't like blame yourself for this, but I was so guilty of this. I was giving attention all the wrong moments because I love my child, right? But instead for this time, uh, the parents are going to be on a schedule where they're going to give Johnny more attention on a regular basis. Cause isn't that what we want? That's really what we want. We want to give our kids what they need and we want to give them attention. But now we're going to have a schedule of it and we're going to try to give him attention all the time. We're going to give him little jobs to do and we're going to say, good job. We're going to say, what a big boy you are. We're going to praise him all the time. I love that Hank used to, Hank the miracle worker used to always say to us, if you're having problem, uh, you know, with compliance uh, and your kids aren't doing what you want, up the praise, up the praise, because then suddenly they want to do more things. So Johnny is taught appropriately how to ask for attention, how to say, excuse me, when mom is on the phone, or how to tap someone on the shoulder when you need attention, and he's rewarded every time for doing it. Now, this is where 
we have to have the courage to change our behavior. It might be that you're used to being on the phone and when you're on the phone you want your kids to leave you alone and this is the international symbol for leaving me alone, which is hysterical because dogs and children understand this is when I ask for what I want because you're going to give me whatever I want so that I will go away. Right? Right. So it may be for the next two months that you have to say whoever you're talking to, hey, I'm talking to you, but if I suddenly start talking to my child, it's because he asked me something and I got to immediately give him attention. And if that's your boss and you're working from home, you know what? This is your kid. And, you know, you can say, you, you can like hang up and say, oh, we got disconnected. Whatever you have to do, this is your kid, Right. But if your kiddo comes up to you and appropriately asks for your attention in the beginning of this intervention, you better give it to them. Otherwise, they're going to go do something to get your attention. Okay, and here's the other part, that if Johnny bites, we're going to set up a consequence strategy where it's not about attention. It might be where you remove him without making eye contact, without saying anything to him, but then you immediately go back and give the attention to the person who is being bit. Um, you know, you just like push him aside and you go, oh, you poor thing, how are you? And you hug them and you, and you do not give attention to the child. But, but that is cruel if you have not taught them an appropriate way to ask for the attention. Does that make sense? It is absolutely cruel. If I am begging for attention and I'm doing it in all the wrong ways, it is cruel to just not give me attention. You have to teach me how to appropriately get the attention, okay? Cruel, cruel. It must be that you've taught them how to and that you're rewarding them and giving them attention all the time. And you'll find if you do, you won't have the challenging behavior. Attention-driven kids are really, you know, it's the easiest thing because you can give attention all the time. It's free. Um, But remember that attention does not have to be positive to be rewarding. There are kids who they'll they'll take being yelled at just to get somebody's attention. This is my dog. My dog is that way. My dog wants to be pet all the time, and she will step in front of me and trip me and and then hear me go, what is wrong right now? Because she got pet on the way, and I'm giving her the attention there. Uh, I need to be a better pet owner. Okay. Our last scenario, can you guess what it is? Johnny bites Miguel every day when it's time to pick up toys. Mom says, let's pick up our toys, boys. And Johnny walks over and bites Miguel. And after he bites Miguel, Johnny is given a timeout. Mom says, you've got to get in the corner. And he's sent to sit in the corner. And then later he has to pick up his toys. Or maybe he never has to pick them up at all, right? What is the function of the behavior? And of course, it's the one that's left. It's escape. Johnny doesn't want to pick up the toys, and he's learned, if I just bite Miguel, I'm out. I don't have to pick up toys. Listen, if I thought that biting Miguel would get me out of doing the taxes, I hope I would not bite Miguel, but I don't know. Do you know what I'm saying? When you need a break, when you need out of something, people engage in all kinds of behavior, and this is easy. This is easy picking. If I bite him, I get out of this? Sure. Or I, And it's enough that I got a break for a couple of seconds. You want your child to get in the bath and they like start biting and kicking and and you go and you have a conversation with them and then you put them in the bath. That was a break. That was the break. They got a break and they'll do it again. So 
what do we do to change this? Instead, after the BIP, we say, okay, what's the antecedent modification? Before we ask Johnny to do any non-preferred task, he is separated from Miguel. So Miguel's not available to be bitten. Let's take care of Miguel, right? And we show Johnny on a piece of paper or something what the big reward is going to be for after the non-preferred task is over. As soon as we're done picking up a toys, that's when we're going to have the ice cream treat. And we show it to him. Because sometimes verbally is not enough. We got to show it. You know, so we're going to, in one minute, we're going to start to pick up the toys. And as soon as we're done picking up the toys, we're going to have the ice cream. But Miguel is someplace safe. And Johnny is going to be like, I don't want anything on the noise and whatever. And you just let him wind that out and go, but as soon as you're done, we're going to have the ice cream, right? And at some point, we can teach Johnny how to take a break, that he picks up 12 toys and he goes, can I take a break? Yes, let's take a break. But then we're going to go right back to it because remember, as soon as you're done, we're going to get an ice cream treat. And we follow through on that. You've got to follow through on that. And what we're doing is teaching Johnny how to put up with the things in life we don't want to do. I don't want to do the taxes, but sometimes I got to do the taxes, right? We're also making it fair. We're giving him a reward. You do something and you get a reward and people go, oh, I don't know. That sets up an unrealistic expectation. No, it doesn't. You go to work, you get paid. That's how the whole world is built, right? Um, And we praise him endlessly while he's doing a non-preferred task and tell him, boy, you're such a big boy. You're doing such a good job. I like how you do. I love Joanne Laura. You say, I like how you're thinking. I love that. Um, Okay, so those are, the, those are the four different things. And obviously for the fifth one, for control, give them a choice. Okay, so we're going to pick up the toys in a minute. When we're done picking up the toys, do you want ice cream or do you want to watch your favorite thing on television when we're done, right? But it's got to be fair. It's got to be something that they really want. Life can't be all misery. They're kids. It's supposed to be fun. Okay, so going back to the car... Like, if you feel comfortable and feel like you can do this, and we're not talking about self-injurious behavior, can you do this on your own? Sometimes. Sometimes you do go, oh, no, I know it's wrong with my car. I know it's this. And maybe you know how to fix it. But a lot of times you can't. So people ask me, do I really need to have a board-certified behavior analyst on my case? Well, I think you do. And I think that it's better because sometimes there's multiple functions. Like now there's an attention part of it, but there's also an escape part of it, right? Um, But absolutely when there's injurious behavior, I say get experts involved because you can make it worse if you pick the wrong, excuse me, the wrong function. Um, Okay, what about when the intervention doesn't work uh, and it doesn't work fairly quickly? Because sometimes you will mistake an extinction burst for it not working, it's so much easier when you have an expert who knows what's happening that can help you through. So I always recommend getting a BCBA on your team that you can ask those questions to. Um, Okay. I call this the magic X, and this isn't maybe the best drawing, but here's, here's the deal. When kids don't have the ability to tell you what they need, they are going to engage in challenging behavior. That's just going to happen. It's not their fault. It's not your fault. They're going to try anything to get their needs met. I would too. I do too. Uh, I, you know, me yesterday going, I hate soccer. Because <laughs> I, I had said, okay, can you do this? And then and people were just standing there watching the soccer game, right? So I threw a tantrum. 
Um, <laughs> right? And, you know, it didn't, wasn't really effective, but it worked a little bit. Um, but we will engage in challenging behavior. I always say if aliens abducted me and took me, I would be like concerned because I wouldn't be in control and I wouldn't know what was going on, right? And I, I want to take bets about how long would it be before I would throw a tantrum because if I didn't speak their language and they didn't understand what I was saying, I, like within 15 minutes, I'm going to need to drink water. I'm going to need to go to the bathroom. I'm going to need to know where I am. I'm going to need to know when am I going to go home to my child? When are you going to kill me? right? I would start like asking questions and then I would start throwing things and I would start biting and clawing and hitting because that is what we do. That is what we do. If we cannot communicate our needs, it is what we all do. Don't stigmatize it. Give them the ability to communicate. What you're seeing on this chart, and it's, it's not easy to see, but the top graph in the green there is showing you the tantrums that the, the, the individual is having. And the bottom graph in the light green is showing their ability to request things, just through one ability manding, right? And then you see the line goes down the middle, and it says this is when we instituted the BIP, the Behavior Intervention Plan, which means we're going to teach them a way to communicate to get what they need. We're going to teach them... Um, you know, how, how to ask for that, and then we're going to give it to them, right? That's what we're going to do. Um, and we're, we're going to stop giving them the reward when they're engaging in the tantrum. Okay, so you see the BIP comes, and then look what happens to the, the tantrum behavior. It goes shockingly down, shockingly down. But look what's happening to the language. The language has gone shockingly up. And then, 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 then we see this spike in the challenging behavior. And that, my friends, is the extinction burst. Ask the people on your team if you can see the chart. This is textbook. This is how children learn. Right here, it happens over and over and over again. So the child is used to getting their way by hitting, biting, whatever the challenging behavior is. We institute a plan where we're going to teach them a better way, and we see that it's working for a hot second. But then suddenly it seems like it's not working. Textbook extinction burst. This is me standing at the light switch, flicking it on and off, going, but it's always worked this way before. That exactly is what your kids are doing. They're like, well, I always, if I throw a tantrum in the grocery store, grandma always gives me the lollipop. I don't understand why I'm not getting the lollipop right now. I'm going to try harder to throw a bigger tantrum so that grandma will give in. It's really important not to give in to the extinction burst. It's really important not to be shocked when the extinction burst comes. It's really important to be prepared for the extinction burst, like to expect it. It really shows that the plan is working because they're just going to, it's a test. It's a test for you. They're saying to you, it always worked before when I did this. I'm going to try it out again to make sure that it doesn't work. You need to pass the test by not giving in then. You got to hold the fort for that day or two days. It's usually over quick. Let's go back to the graph. Because then what happens, uh, full screen the graph again, uh, Traven, so that they can see. Then notice what happens there. That's where we get the magic X. Do you see where the challenging behavior goes almost to the bottom? 
and the language, the communication behavior goes almost consistently up. That is what we want to see for their lives. That is what we want for them to be happy people. I look at that graph and I go, that's a kid who's not having to tantrum to get what they need. And that is what we're talking about. Right now, every time that your child is throwing a tantrum or engaging in any behavior, it's because that's what they feel they need to do to get their needs met. So now that we know that and have that awareness, then let's start thinking in terms of, okay, what what can I be teaching them so that they can request? And it's like, you know, you can teach sign language, you can teach verbal language, you can teach using an iPad, you can teach uh, with icons, you can teach with pointing, right? You can teach with sound, that somebody can request a cookie by saying, not cookie, they can say, and eventually we'll get to cookie, right? And they get what they need. It gets a little bit dicier when kids have words, because sometimes we don't like what they're saying that you know they'll say i don't want to go and we feel like that's the end of the earth i don't want to go means i'm never going to want to go but that's a great time when a kid is that verbal and says i don't want to go to say to repeat back to them and say i heard you say you don't want to go i hear you you don't want to go and then you will see them like audibly sigh and and go and they'll take the shuddering breath then you can say you then you can have other conversation with them and you can say what what do you want right now and you have to listen with your whole body because think about this when you're upset and somebody says what do you want sometimes don't you feel like i don't know i don't know what i want right now so be prepared for that too but you can take a moment and say what do you need right now what do you want do you want to take a breath you can give a choice do you want to sit here for a minute but wait to hear what the answer is right and then sometimes you can negotiate it and you can say, we did this yesterday with the sensitive Santas, right? That, you know, we were able to say, do you want to sit right here and look at Santa? And sometimes kids were like, yes. And other times they were, no, I don't want to do that. There, there were several times during the day when it was like, no, I don't want to be anywhere near Santa. And listen, sometimes that's the first visit for Santa. Sometimes we just have to call it and go, that's okay. You don't have to. So then they go, oh, you heard me. I don't want to see Santa. I don't have to see Santa. It's okay. Right? Let's not traumatize anybody. Right? But sometimes if we just say, hey, do you want to hang right here and just look from the car and look at Santa? Some kids are like, yeah, that's okay. I can do that. Right? But it's about listening. Listening. We don't have to push them into a tantrum. We can hear where the challenging behavior is coming from. But if I feel that nobody is listening to me, that we're all going to throw a tantrum. We all are. That is not about autism. That's about not being heard. And we want to be good allies, which means we want to hear them. Okay. So uh, I started out by saying we're not going to give anybody capes. Edna Mole says no capes. No capes, she says. Nobody needs to be a superhero. But ask yourself this, after going through all this, I hope it takes out some of the anxiety for you that A, you're not doing anything wrong. We all are going to blow it sometimes. We, all of us have uh, reinforced 
challenging behavior. So just acknowledge that. You're going to do, I've seen BCBAs do it, right? It happens. Forgive yourself, move on, right? But try not to do it when you can now that you're aware of it. So when your child is escalating, if you're at the beginning part of it and they're escalating, um, ask yourself, what do you think that they want? Ask them, what do you want? Take a moment and take a breath and try to listen to what they want. But if the tantrum is already happening, the challenging behavior is happening, I still want you to ask, what is it that they want? But while the behavior is happening, don't give it to them. Don't give it to them. Because if you do, then they'll go, this works. And we don't want them to get that message. You don't have to be a butthole about it. You don't have to be mean. You don't have to be trauma-inducing, right? You can take care of them. And, And when we say don't give it attention, that doesn't mean ignore the child. It means ignore the behavior. Do we know what the difference between that is? So if Johnny bites Miguel, and I know it's from for attention, I don't I don't ignore Johnny. I I I'm going to pick him up and I'm going to move him over here and I'm going to give my attention, which means my eyes and my verbal and and my arms and my hands to Miguel, but I'm still in the room with Johnny. I am still there. I still can see if he's being unsafe, right? I'm still there in the room with him. And once I'm done, you know, taking care of Miguel, then I can uh, you know, I can engage with Johnny once again, but I'm not going to give him a lecture about the biting, right? I'm not going to do that in that, in that bubble. It's hard because I don't want to give a whole bunch of attention to him, but I'm not going to ignore him. I see people ignore kids all the time. And remember, they were doing it to get communication. And when you ignore the kid, you up the stakes for them. They're going to try that much harder to get your attention and you don't want that. So try to, I think, work with a BCBA so that you can see somebody who's, I watched behavior technicians do this with my kid and I was like, oh, they're good. Uh, I'm never going to be as good as they are. I'm just not. Uh, I'm just not. Uh, I'm too wrapped up in my kid, right? I don't know if you guys are that way. I've seen some parents who are great. I'm, I'm not that good. Uh, but you will learn tricks and go, oh, okay, this is the kinder, gentler way to do this. Um, it's worthwhile, you guys, because you get to the point where you're not having challenging behavior. You're just not having it. So anyway, I appreciate you guys being here. I think that was the end. Yes. Um, I hope that was helpful. Please write in any questions that you have, especially tomorrow with Dr. Grampiche. We're going to be talking about how to get through the holidays because it can be a rough time, y'all. Uh, All right. I just realized I'm supposed to be at a meeting. I need to go, but uh, I will talk to you guys all soon. Tomorrow, in fact. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now. If you found anything helpful in this video, please give us a like. In fact, make sure that you smash that subscribe button on YouTube and give us a like on Facebook. You can also follow us on Twitter and on Instagram for important updates. And please download our free podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much. See you next time.